welcome to this week's episode of Auntie Please, where we are everything we want to be, nothing you want us to be, and so much more. So we've got part two of our chat to Dr. George Lee, the urologist, and yeah, we're just going to literally jump straight into it. Okay, so let's move into some questions on fertility. So infertility can sometimes be a topic that only surrounds women. So what are some common misconceptions about male infertility? Well, the most common one is that infertility is a woman's problem. So that has always been generations. It's probably related to really fierce mother-in-law and need to blame somebody. Of course, you never blame your son. You always blame your daughter-in-law. Across all the different ethnicity, we realize that that is something that women has been shouldering for many, many years. Mm. But in recent years, obviously, with the advent of test tube babies and everything, we realize that you can't hide away whenever men produce their semen the semen's no good. So therefore, male infertility becomes to get the highlights and men begin to shoulder some degree of responsibilities. WHO came up with some really interesting statistics. It will say that at least a quarter of infertility are male factor only. Another quarter is both male and female quarter, uh, factors, and then the rest probably is female. But I think it's a lot bigger uh, problems than that. I don't believe it's a quarter. I think it's at least a third or more. Why do I say that? It's because over the last 30 to, th- uh, uh, 30 to 50 years or so, the men's sperm count has been dropping. And that's dropping quite drastically. And then we know this from sperm donations and the 50s, the 60s, the 70s, the 80s, the 90s, we constantly see that healthy men donating their sperms has significant drop in the sperm quality. That includes the shape, the number, and the motility. Many people can't work out why, but many things has happened over the last five decades. For example, the use of plastic. Plastic was almost non-existent, in the 50s and now the prevalence of plastic is something that actually sit into the normal um, lifestyle into our ecosystem and is believed to change the impact of the hormonal production and sperm production in men because the spermatogenesis is incredibly sensitive to chemicals other things that happens are pesticides pesticides are also believed to have an impact on that and the use of antibiotics. The antibiotics change many things that we do. It's used in agriculture, it's used in uh, you know, fishery, and that itself eventually get into the system for men. And I really think all these play a part to reduce the men's infertility. So the other things that men are doing to themselves that actually will reduce their, inf- uh, their fertilities are, for example, tight underwears. You know, in the older days, perhaps men don't wear so much underwear. The testicles are supposed to be let loose, actually to have a temperature about one degree cooler than their core body temperature. When underwear, to make them look sexy and firm bum and so on and so forth, it, and tight jeans itself will have a negative impact on their fertility. Apart from that, laptops, you know, a lot of people, laptops put on your lap, the radiation itself, handphone, 
the mobile phone that actually emits the um, you know radiations itself is something that we don't see and may have an impact. And many studies had shown that it has impact on male fertility and also other lifestyle things such as sauna and steam bath. And all these things will enhance the temperature and reduce the fertility in men. So overall, there are always intrinsic and extrinsic factors that reduce the fertility in men. Therefore, I think 20 years from today, when we have the same conversation, you will realize that the proportion of men contributing towards infertility will continue to expand. Wow. Mm. So this is funny because we had a listener question that related to that. But so does the type of underwear that you wear either on a regular basis or perhaps when you go to sleep or day to day, does that have an effect on yeah their health? Indeed, when men or couples come to see us with infertility problem, the first thing we do is we check the men's uh, underwear and also the size of their testicles. We realize that men who wear tight underwears tend to have smaller and also less productions of uh, spermatogenesis. One uh, mm -hmm. definitive answer to that is yes, tighter underpants will actually make the sperm not so healthy for the sperm. Okay. Okay. And so what are there any specific habits or lifestyles that, um, or lifestyle choices that men make, especially in their youth that kind of influence their fertility down the road, other than the underwear, of course. <laughs> I think many men ask that question is indirectly asking, is masturbation too much? It's going to actually eventually end up the use of their quota. That's one of the questions, one of the listener questions. Yeah. In fact, the study showed otherwise. Contrary to what people believe that when you masturbate too much, then you use up all the sperms, right? Okay. And then that is probably in Old Testament to say, mm. thou shall not onan, right? Okay. Mm. However, in reality is that when uh, in Australia and also in Netherlands, there are many studies to show that regular ejaculation actually reduces they are um, the old sperm being stuck in the ejaculatory duct. And then every time mm. you have a better turnover, you have fresh sperms that are healthier mm. and fertility rate increases. So what I would imagine um, is that from that study, you actually show that regular ejaculation is what your body will probably do anyway in a normal um, kind of like desire driven by your testosterone. So the regular ejaculation on the contrary actually help to promote your fertility rather than reduce your fertility. Other study that was done in Harvard School of Medicine showed that regular ejaculation actually reduced your risk of getting prostate cancer about four decades later. This is a big study looking at predominantly white male in New England area, mainly healthcare providers over a period of several decades and look at their frequency of ejaculation the more frequent they ejaculate, the less chance of getting prostate cancer later on in the years. So therefore, all the old wives tell your mother say to you that when you ejaculate too much or you will play yourself too much, you go blind or you have hairy palms. Not true. Not true. Enjoy your life. Yeah, well, at least probably worse eyesight and hairy palms, but you don't get prostate cancer and you're quite fertile. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Wow, that's really fascinating. Is there such a thing as too much masturbation? Mm. Or is that a myth as well? Actually, 
you know, in real life, uh, we always worry about whether it's too much, too little. Of course, it's individualized, right? I mean, I have mm. come across men who masturbate at least two times or three times per day. Mm. I have come across men who masturbate about three times a year and they think it's too much. Mm. So I think that there are many, many statistics that show men's frequency of ejaculation. Um, you know, for example, the study that I pointed out to you um, by Harvard School of Medicine, they actually show that 21 times a month of ejaculation actually is protective of getting uh, prostate cancer. Mm, so that yeah. is almost every day, 21 times. So yeah, you have yeah. seven days rest and 21 days ejaculate, right? Yeah. Yeah. And then, so most Asians will think, well, that's too much, yeah. you know? I'll lose my chi, my kidney will go bust, right? It's nothing to do with kidneys. It's yeah. an testicle. Where does the kidney chi come from? Nobody knows where that whole concept of whether your energy will disappear. But many people know that if you ejaculate on a frequent basis, your blood pressure drops. Mm. Your oxytocin, the feel-good factor, endorphin um, you know, uh, in the brain actually um, is released. So you feel better. And then many people also know that you let you're a lot less angry and all these things can only be better for you. Mm. What I think is that if you don't do it now, when? You don't wait until you're 85 and start masturbating and you lose out all your golden years. Do That's it. True. Do it when you feel like it. So go with the natural flow. In Malaysia, we have statistics to show frequency of intercourse. Nobody will ever own up to how many times they masturbate anyway, right? You know, mm. and like, but the frequency of intercourse in Malaysia, it's about twice a week for any below 40 years old. I really think that's reasonable. To two to three times a week is something that will make you feel good from time to time. I think that's pretty average. Mm. Mm. Well, it's 2021. It's time for men to prioritize their pleasure. Yes, you do what you got to do. frequently. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you got to take care of your health in some way, right? Like, this is like the and, easiest thing. And don't thing. feel so guilty about it. Because yeah. the worst thing that you have is after you feel good, and then you say, oh my God, you know, it's like, you know, I'm going to go blind, you know, it's too much, <laughs> right? And then they start praying and say, no, ask for forgiveness. So you have one pleasure, and then you have seven days of guilt. Not yeah. good. No, yeah. Yeah. No. Own it. Um, yeah. Um, can you tell us about substance use, alcohol, smoking, or like even like marijuana, like all of those things and how it affects penile health, um, specifically also with regards to erectile dysfunction, um, especially in young people? Okay. We know smoking definitely can cause erectile dysfunction. And in fact, there are many studies to show smoking will narrow the blood vessels to the rest of the body. Since the penis blood vessels is the smallest compared to the heart, it always gets narrowed first. Mm. So smokers tend to get erectile dysfunction at least two to three years before they end up with a cardiac attack and a heart attack. So if they're already blocking the blood vessels to the penis, a lot of men ended up having either angina or needing a angiogram and angioplasty later on. Mm. So it's a good barometer of, yeah. um, of uh, kind of like cardiac health. So I always say to patients, when you have a broken heart on, you're about to have a broken heart. Ooh, he really, he really just did that. 
That's a good one. <laughs> the way I look at it is that smoking obviously is one thing that's really bad. Marijuana is again another form of smoking itself, although it makes you relax. However, it will uh, destroy a lot of nerves and also destroy the blood flow to the penis. Alcohol is something that actually will affect your liver and then also your metabolism of your testosterone. When you have excesses amount of alcohol, you undergo something called cirrhosis, and that will decrease your testosterone and increase your female production, female hormone production, and that itself can induce low libido and also male menopause and erectile dysfunction. Mm-hmm. Other recreation drugs such as amphetamines, ketamines, all these things are incredibly toxic to both the testosterone and the blood supply, and many men. And who start using these recreation drugs, especially in Asia, actually end up with severe form of erectile dysfunction. And a lot of them are not even treatable by the blue pills. So therefore, guys, the short-term fun will end up having you a wilting willies for many, many years to come. It's not worth it. Definitely, it's not worth it mm-hmm. by the sounds of it. Mm-mm. Oh, no. Yeah, and I like that, I like that, Um, like how their erections are is a good barometer for their like potential cardiovascular health as well. I think that's a really good tip that people don't realize at all. But it is a simple concept of the blood vessels get blocked in the smallest mm-hmm. blood vessel first before the big blood vessel. Mm-hmm. So a broken heart on is a sign of a broken heart in future days. Yeah, 100%. Words to live by, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> Um, are there common STIs that affect primarily men or perhaps show up on people with penises more than, you know, women? Yes. Um, well, that is another misconception. It's the other way around. Mm. Okay. Mm. Um, the STI uh, predominantly are divided into bacterial and viral. So the bacterial ones, commonest, most contagious ones are chlamydia, gonorrhea, Trichomonas, mycoplasma, ureaplasma. Surprisingly, something like um, 10 to 20% of women who can harbor this in the vagina without knowing about it. If men get chlamydia or gonorrhea, they will be pouring out pus every single minute. Like, you know, and then they will be pouring out and they can't survive. If you see some men in the classes or amongst work colleagues that has been like running to the toilet very frequently and then also kind of like when they're walking, they walk a little bit like a, a penguin but kind of like, you know, muddle. Yeah, muddle a little bit. Sometimes it's because of gonorrhea or chlamydia and it's incredibly toxic and men can't uh, survive without getting it treated because it burns, it feels like their penis uh, inside, their urethra is being cut by glass every single minute and therefore wow. it's the other way around women don't know but men actually find it difficult to mm. um, uh, to get away with it viruses obviously hiv uh, men and women are probably equally uh, contagious when it comes to it but women get infected more because ejaculate may have the virus that ejaculate mm. to women so women uh, mm. the recipient are more likely to get HIV transmission during a penetrative sex. On top of that, other issues such as HPV, we talked about, 
for men, if you get HPV, you will get a viral wart appearing on the penis. But women, it's deep inside the vagina. You don't necessarily get to see it. So therefore, it's harboring insight without you knowing about it unless we have a speculum examination. Mm-hmm. Similarly, with herpes, some women have the herpes within the vagina wall that they don't see. But for men, when they get herpes, it's on the penis and it's incredibly painful. And there's lots and lots of blisters on the penis. So therefore, men tend to have it a lot more obviously because the protrusions of the phallus allow them to see it. Mm-hmm. And also the urethra is much longer. And if they infect the urethra, the pain itself, most of the time is unbearable. Mm. Mm. Yes, I learned this early this year because of a UTI that our, like, our, like women's urethras are like four centimeters long and men's are like 20 centimeters. I was like, wow. Why didn't I put this together that there's such a huge difference in the length and that like influences like the health? Like it's just mad. <laughs> urethra is that long, it's difficult for bacteria to get in. Therefore, women get UTI mm. a lot easier. But when you get UTI, men suffer like three times uh, or 10 times uh, more because mm. it has more uh, tissues uh, to be infected. And then therefore, many, many men, when they get uh, chlamydia and gonorrhea, it can be hell. Yeah, that makes sense. Oof. That adds up. And you don't wish that on your worst nightmare ex uh, in a boy. Hopefully. <laughs> Only for two days. Yeah. Just like a little touch of it, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's always a payback time, right? Okay, so for this next segment, we are going into a lightning round of questions, questions from our listeners on Instagram, Um, and so you can try to answer them as fast as you can, but of course, if you feel like you need to be thorough and like you need to give an explanation, then please, by all means, please do, okay? So first question, is it normal for a penis to smell bad? Oh, um, it's not normal. However, the penis that smells bad, it means that the guy who doesn't look after his penis. So bad smell penis, stay away. Mm, Okay, cool. Second (laughs) question, what does it mean when you have to push out your pee at the end and it's not a natural stream, particularly after ejaculation? Yeah, it means they're getting old. (laughs) Well, because whenever it's blocking... Like for example, if you uh, your prostate is getting bigger, then it's blocking. Then at the end of that urination, you will leave behind a little bit and it will dribble and it will make your underpants smell. Mm. So if you get that and you're not that old, you need to get see a doctor because it's not normal. Okay. Yeah, this person was not old. Um, next question. How do I know if I should be worried about bumps on my penis? What is normal and what isn't? Okay, well, there are bumps in, everywhere, right? Okay, when the bumps itself is actually quite unsightly, it's bleeding or it's painful, it's not normal. However, there are other bumps that is quite natural. For example, there's something called pe- pearly penile papules, which is quite normal. So the easiest thing to do, obviously compare with your peers. And then if you can't compare with your peers, go and see a doctor. Mm. Uh, next is... One of our listeners said, my erection was much stronger when I was a teenager, but I've since seen a significant decline in strength as I'm in my mid-twenties. How do I bring back my teenage erection? 
Okay. In the mid-20s, it's very unlikely that you get erectile dysfunction. It's not impossible, but it's very unlikely. Most people, uh, they, the state of arousal is not as much. Probably when they are much younger, then you know when they get that excitement, that arousal, and then it's stronger. But what we would like you to do is actually spice up a lot of things. You know, mm. for example, if you have a girlfriend that can spice up and then do all sorts of role plays and things, then it will be fun. Then you'll get back that strength. Yeah. Would you say that? Um, just on that question, would you say that lifestyle um, choices at a young age could influence um, your erections? Like things like whether it's like whether you exercise or not, your health, your diet, whether you smoke, um, those kind of things. Well. Alarmingly, Malaysia recently published a national health and morbidity survey to show that one third of men aged 18 to 29 have got erectile dysfunction. Oh, no. So there are two reasons. Number one, you have bad overall health. Mm. Diabetes, blood pressure and also dyslipidemia, it may be killing your erection. Alternatively, psychologically, you might be worrying about so many things that actually might be killing your erection. So mm. either way is not normal. Just see a doctor and we'll get it fixed. Yeah. Next is, how do I know if I have an unhealthy penis? Okay. Unhealthy penis is a penis that actually always gets infected. It's painful and also you will dribble urine and that sort of thing. So the easiest thing to do is actually just see and see doctor to see that it's unhealthy. The simplest thing about the penis actually it's functional and it's not leaving you problems. So if it's functional, that is supposed to pee normally, just like a hose, and also supposed to be able to have sex normally. If you can do both, there's, there's no such thing as abnormal penis. Mm, okay. What are the causes of impotence in modern day men and steps you can take to manage or reduce this risk? This occurrence, yeah. We used to think that impotence is all in the mind. 90% in psychological and then also, uh, you know, 10% uh, organic. Mm -hmm. But in reality, it's the other way around. It is 90% organic, such as poor overall health and then also psychologically. And most of the time, it can be a combination of both. Mm -hmm. So therefore, if you do think that you've got impotency and then calm yourself down, try to think about it and then live healthy lifestyle, if it's still not happening, then something is wrong with your body. Okay, last question. Mm. Um, you've kind of already answered this earlier, but I'm just going to ask again so you can sum it up in like a short answer. Um, whether or not you would recommend circumcision for men, especially as adults. Okay, circumcision for men as adults, it's only necessary if you encounter problems. For example, if the foreskin is not retractable, if you get regular infections, or if you simply just want to um, make the penis easier to clean. So under those circumstances, yes. If you just do it because your peers has gone it or if you think that it will be fun or you might improve your sexual performance, you're wrong. You'll regret it. Mm -hmm. mm. Okay, actually, psych, I have another last question for this. <laughs> but is it common, uncommon, normal, abnormal for um, penises to sting after sex when it comes to like sex with vaginal penetration? Mm -hmm. Or is there something that should be checked up? After each ejaculation, the penis itself actually is undergoes spasm because it just propels the actual uh, semen out of the body. And that is a huge muscular contraction in order to do that. To achieve that muscular contraction, you need to close off the valve that leaks urine. So because you cannot have semen mixed with urine to make you infertile, right? 
So when that mechanism happens, it will have two consequences. After you ejaculate, you will find it difficult to urinate. And secondly, when you urinate, it will be painful because it is tighter uh, in order to do that. So don't worry after you ejaculate, after you have uh, you know, climax, and then you have a slight discomfort and difficulty in urination. Have a good sleep. When you wake up, you'll be fine. But get, give a good wash afterwards, and then you won't get any UTI. Amen. Mm. Yes, 100%. Is it important for people to pee after sex? Or is that a myth? Um, okay. For guys to pee, it's not that easy. For women to pee, it's crucially mm. important. Either don't have a full bladder when you have sex or go and um, you know pee <laughs> afterwards, right? Because before and after sex, to pee both sides, mm. the sex is not that long. You don't make that much urine in between, okay? So um, one of the reasons why people get honeymoon cystitis is because when they have full bladder, they have sex, and then the bacteria that lines the lining of the vagina is being pushed back into the bladder. And that causes something called honeymoon cystitis. It's very common. So one of the practices is that I actually ask um, the ladies to pee um, immediately after sex or just before sex to have empty bladder. And after they pee, wipe from front to back and throw away that and do it twice. And that itself is known to significantly reduce the rate of UTI. Mm. Yeah, mm. definitely. Amazing. Well, that's all the questions we have from our listeners. One final question for you, Dr. Lee. What is one message you would like to leave the people and our listeners with? Okay. I think my thing, to, apart from saying that, you know, uh, the... Uh, a broken heart on is a bad, uh, you know, <laughs> it's bad for your heart later on. My thing is that, you know, urologists as urologists, we are advocate for men's health because in reality, mankind is not too kind to men. So we are fighting for mankind. Nice. nice. Love that. Well, thank you so much for speaking to us and answering all our questions. I feel like this has been very enlightening yeah. for me. I've learned a lot, a lot of shocking statistics and shocking information. I think the most shocking one for me was that um, you've had some clients who come in who wash only, who thoroughly wash like once or twice a month. I think that's like the most shocking for me. Actually, oh. I have men who live until their 50s has never seen the glands penis because they haven't actually been able to retract it. Oh. And, you know, and then they are so embarrassed that uh, eventually the hole will close. Mm. When it comes, they can't pee and some of them end up with very severe injury to their kidneys. Oh, no. Oh, oh no. no. That's not good. Wow. Mm-mm. Anyway, <laughs> these are the sort of topic that most people kind of don't think it's a... Um, mm. Uh, a comfortable subject to talk about. I'm glad that you choose this uh, as something that uh, perhaps might, um, you know, enlighten the the listeners and also the followers. Yeah, it's. I think it's because we know that it's such an underrated topic, like men's sexual health. I feel like women tend to talk about it more and like open up more or at least talk to their peers. But I'm pretty sure that guys just don't do the same for themselves. So hence why it's important to have conversations like this. Sure. Yeah. Brilliant. Okay. Mm-hmm. Have a wonderful weekend. Ladies, all right. Thank you Thank so you much. So much. Oh wait, before that, wait. Where can where can our listeners find you on like whether it's on Instagram or LinkedIn? Like, how can they 
I have a Instagram, which I don't really use it for uh, kind of like a, well, I use it for both work and pleasure. Mm-hmm. It's uh, at Dr. George Lee. So D-O-C-T-O-R, George Lee. Yeah. And then um, I they, they can email me on the kind of Monash website. I'm, uh, you know, staff at Monash. Mm-hmm. And then also, um, I guess, um, I will, I'll tell you what, I will, uh, my email, which, you know, most people think it's a dinosaur email. Email MSN. <laughs> My thoughts is literally what I thought. I was like, not gonna lie, MSN. <laughs> I had the same thought. So they said, "Well, I said, really? Is it that long? It's probably twenty years. It just haven't really got around to changing it." And then, wow, it still exists. Ah, you're probably still on. Uh, you know, like you know, uh, what what was it? Because. I went to Cambridge. When Cambridge first started, we have a first email mm-hmm. in a system called Phoenix. And then my, my colleagues always say, you're probably still on Phoenix, huh? From 1988. <laughs> so MSN, I know. It's like, um, you know, I, yeah. I'm a little bit embarrassed, but I don't it's know okay. how to So um, I uh, also, my headphone number, because it's at the back of my, uh, my card, and then, you know, so some people WhatsApp me, they feel a lot more comfortable that way. And then, so whichever way, I don't mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Instagram is, I'll send you the, the link. Perfect. All of this will be in the show notes for those of you listening. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show again, Dr. George. For those of you that want to, you can also follow us at Auntie Please on Instagram. Shaya is also at, at Shaya5, her personal account. And mine is Natasha J. Lama. And we'll see you guys soon. Bye.